If you have an outline in your bulletin today, uh, ignore that. That's not going to be helpful for you. I feel like we need to move a different direction. Uh, I believe that God wants to impress something special on our heart. And times, sometimes when life is giving us something unusual. For you, the unusual just may be that there's a little bit of weather. But I think there's a whole lot more that God is wanting to say there's a unique moment he's giving to us now. Uh, I want to obey the Lord. And so uh, I'm moving out of my comfort zone with you now. But let's be obedient and uh, not comfortable. Amen? Amen? If you take your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 15, we're going to spend some time there together. Luke chapter 15. You find Jesus and he's talking and he's been dealing with uh, religious people. And he wants to get a point across and so he tells these three parables of a lost coin, of a lost sheep, and a lost son. If you've been around church very long, if you've been around the Bible very long, this is a very uh, famous passage of Scripture, one that we can refer to often, one that you have probably heard in Sunday school or VBS, or you have taught yourself in a small group study over and over again. If you close your eyes, if, if you have a church background, you can probably see the flannel graph board that was used to depict this for you at some stage in your life. But I believe God has something for us this morning that that I was not prepared to share with you, but I believe he's prepared to share with you in Luke chapter 15 about the lost son. As you look there in your Bible, I want you to read along as I uh, begin to summarize through this. I want you to see this is not my idea, my word. This is in God's word. And Jesus is telling this parable, this story that's going to prove a point about this lost son. And it comes in a series of stories of lost things. We begin to see a story of a father who had two sons. It's not my three sons, it's, it's my two sons. And he had a younger son and he had an older son. And, and the younger son begins to get this idea that dad doesn't know a whole lot and, and that life isn't moving the way that he wants it to move. And so he goes to his father and he says, Dad, you know, um, all of, of that wealth that, that I'm going to inherit a part of it when you die. And the father, I could just imagine that, yeah, I, I kind of know my wealth. I know what I have. Um, the thing is, Dad, uh, I don't want to wait till you die. I want it now. I mean, that, that's a great way to start a conversation with your dad. And can you imagine the, the great touchy-feely moment that had to be? Dad, you're great and everything, but you're just living too long. I can't wait for you to die, so how about you give me my inheritance now? And the father does something in this parable that, that I don't understand at all. He gives him his inheritance. And he runs off and he squanders his wealth. He takes the inheritance that the father has given to him and he goes and he lives it up big and he goes into the city and he's having a big time and and he's making all kinds of friends and as long as the cash is flowing, the friends are right there with him. And he is just living the high life, but pretty soon the money begins to run out. Pretty soon he begins to, to come to the end of his resources and he finds that his friends are not really his friends. His friends were not really the the people who loved him. They just loved what he could do for them. You ever had a friend like that? 
You ever had somebody who you weren't quite sure if they were interested in you, but, but they were more interested in what you could, could give to them, more interested in how you could provide for them, more interested in how you appeared to them? Be, be very weary, leery of friends like this. They, they are not friends at all. And that's who he was surrounded with. And then he comes to the end of himself, the scripture says, to comes to his senses and, and he, he begins to find that he has nothing to eat and, and he finds himself eating with what? With who? What's your Bible say? Pigs. He's eating pig slop. Anybody here grow up on a farm around pigs? Raise your hand real high. Be proud. It's okay. You can do this. Yeah, yeah. I did not grow up on a farm, and I was a, a city boy for, for most of my life, and I spent a few years in Oskaloosa, Iowa. And uh, I got to know a pig farmer by the name of Steve, and he invited me over to his house to make some money, and I was going to paint the fences. And, and it was so hard for me to paint the fences because of the stench that was in the air. It just reeked of pigs and everything that comes out of pigs. It was nasty. And I began to paint that fence, and, and it was just a, a horrible thing. I couldn't stand it. And finally, I went into his house, and I said, Steve, I need a break. It stinks so bad out here. How do you stand it? And he said, every time I smell it, it smells like money to me. I mean, he had a perspective on pigs that I'll never understand. And, and he said, well, let, let's go out here to the, to the hog house, and, and let, let me show you around. I was not very excited, because I was going to have to get closer to this stench. Well, he took me out to see the pigs, and, and I'd seen them on Sesame Street, and I'd seen them, you know, just in pictures and stuff, but I'd never been close to pigs before. And, and I got up close to him, and he says, do you want to feed this baby pig a bottle? And I said, sure. But I didn't know I was going to have to hold the pig. And so he put the pig in my arms, and I'm holding this bottle and this nasty bleh, animal. And, and then he says, you know, pigs really aren't that dirty of an animal. I was not convinced. They smelled dirty. They looked dirty. This was not my house dog that I'd been around my whole life. This was a stinky thing. And then, then I began to see the, the pen where they kept all these pigs. And, and I saw the feeding trough. And I began to see the stuff that they would feed the pigs. And I remember at that time, it came to my mind, this passage of Scripture. And I thought, I wonder how hungry I would have to be that eating with pigs would seem like a good idea. And that's the story that Jesus is telling. He says, hey, you know what? <laughs> this son had squandered his wealth. He had lost everything that was good to him. And, and the only thing he could find to eat was to eat with pigs. And so he's there eating with pigs. And he looks down and he sees what he's doing. He's around this stinking, nasty pig pen. And he says, surely my father's hired hands live better than this. I've got to go home. And you know this story well. And, and then the son begins to rehearse his prayer. Have you ever rehearsed a prayer before? He begins to, to think out loud of what he's going to say to God. You know, I could, I could go to him and say, Father, you know, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. And, and um, you, you know, and so um, I, I want to ask you to forgive me. And I don't deserve to be your son anymore. But, but maybe I could be a hired hand. And maybe I could live out in the, in the servants' quarters. And, and he begins to, to work it all out in his mind of how he's going to rehearse this conversation with his father. It's like us rehearsing our prayer. And so he Begins to make his way home and look in the Bible there. What, what happens? What happens with the father? He's on his way home and it says, while he was a long way off. The father sees the son from a distance and he runs to the son. 
Many a musician has caught this in Scripture and, and turned this into a great lyric and a song of, of the only time God ran is when he ran to me to wrap his arms around me. This is the picture that Jesus is giving to us, and, and we love this story so far, but, but none of this is really the heart of why I think God wants me to share this with you today. This is just like nostalgic memories of Sunday school reminding us of, of the prodigal son or the lost son. And so the father embraces the son and says, my son, you are welcome home. He tells the servants, get a ring to put on his finger. Get a robe to put on him. Kill the fatted calf. Now, that, that was also something that confused me. I haven't eaten a lot of fattened calf before, I don't think. But it was, it was the best steak they could find. It was the best hamburger they could find. Bring out the good food. Bring out all the best we have. Because my son was lost and now he's come home. But then there's the older son. And you would think that it would have moved him that his brother, who was lost, has now made it home. And when the dad is informing the family that the lost son is home, the older brother did this. Anybody have kids at home that have perfected the Lip that sticks out and pouting. He began to pout. He began to say, Dad, why are you putting a robe on, on my younger brother? He has taken our wealth. He has squandered it. He has run the family name into the mud. He has embarrassed all of us. Why would you embrace him? Haven't you seen what I have been doing while I was at home? I cannot believe you didn't do this for me. And just pouts. I believe Jesus is giving us a lot in this parable. And and there's primary and secondary and tertiary truths in Scripture. And and I believe God wants us to look at a tertiary truth, another aspect of this parable that maybe we have been around our whole life that possibly we have missed. Jesus is giving us examples of sins of action and sins of attitude. I want to say that again. Jesus has given us an example of sins of action and sins of attitude. The younger brother went out and he squandered and he began to live a life sinful, disobedient, running away from the father in his actions. But the older brother at home with his lips sticking out, With his attitude reeking, it was rank, it was as bad as the pigs. He was living a life of sinful attitudes. When Pastor Rex was talking this morning at our prayer time, that when we die to ourself, we can be resurrected with Christ and his life is in us. And we can be set free from the chains of willful disobedience all our life. And sometimes we allow the enemy to tell us that as long as I don't say this thing wrong or do this thing wrong, then I've got everything right. But Jesus has clearly given us a picture of two sons who needed saving, two sons who were lost. There's one who's the prodigal, but one has sins of action and one has sins of attitude. I believe whenever we teach or preach about sins of action or sins of attitude, there are some people who, just by their nature of feeling guilty all the time, they begin to heap things on themselves that's not from the Lord, it's from the enemy. I think of a housewife who is 
working hard to juggle and balance all the things that she has in her life. She has a little boy. We'll call him Jimmy. He's six years of age. Jimmy has been home from school for about a week with the flu. She has a newborn baby underneath her arm who is still in diapers. She's trying to do her best to keep the house clean, and she wants to have dinner on the table when her husband comes home, and and she has had a day that's been less than spectacular. You see, Jimmy, who's been home from school for about a week with the flu, he's starting to feel a little bit better. And do you know what happens to your kids when they've been sick, and then they start to feel a little bit better, but they're not good enough to go to school? They just have little monsters growing out of them. They've got pent-up energy. It's kind of like when you've been on snow days for too long and you've got to get them to, to sky zone to jump and get it out. But, but, but this lady didn't have sky zone. And little Jimmy is there and he's beginning to feel this way. And, and Jimmy is playing his favorite thing. Imagine with me now, this six-year-old loves airplanes. In fact, his friends nickname him Jimmy Jet. Because Jimmy loves airplanes and he loves to fly airplanes in his imagination. And so Jimmy is now six years old, feeling better. He's running around the house, zooming like an airplane. And mom is trying to get dinner ready. She's got the newborn baby underneath her arm. And Jimmy all of a sudden comes to a halt and there's a blood-curdling scream. The mom comes into the living room to see what happened. But she finds Jimmy laying on the floor and... Jimmy was taking the 747 in for a landing and he misjudged the coffee table and he tripped and he hit his scalp on the edge of the coffee table and now there's a big bump right there. He's crying and then the little baby underneath her arm decides to chime in and she starts to cry. Right at this time when dinner is still on the stove and she's trying to get it ready, there is a stink that kind of reminds me of the pigs we were talking about. And mom recognizes that the little girl under her arm is now wearing a soiled diaper. And right at this moment, her husband walks in. And he smells something when he walks in. And it's not only the stench of the diaper, but he begins to smell the the stench of scorched potatoes on the stove. Have you ever smelled the stench of scorched potatoes? Anybody smelled that, what it's like on the stove? I smell it all the time. (laughs) At other people's houses. (laughs) You don't think I'm that stupid, do you? Right now, in this moment, Jimmy Jett is on the floor. He's got a big golf ball underneath his scalp because he's running to the table and and the little girl has a soiled diaper and she's crying. The potatoes are burnt. The husband comes in and he's been working hard all day and he just says, how come dinner's not ready? And right at that moment, this wife and mother doesn't feel very saved. And... She's not real excited about the situation. And the enemy gets on her shoulder and says, if you had a good attitude like Pastor Brady was, that's kind of good, isn't it? It's like a puppet. Like Pastor Brady was talking about, then, then you wouldn't be feeling this way. Friend, I share that with you to say 
This has nothing to do with what Jesus is talking about and sins of actions and sins of attitude. You see, the Spirit-filled believer and the person who's not filled with the Spirit, you put them underneath the same amount of pressure, and, and they will respond often in the same way. But the Spirit-filled believer goes back and makes it right. The Spirit-filled believer allows God to work on their heart. Whenever we talk about attitudes, there's some people in this room who will begin to misunderstand what I'm saying, and they'll say, well, if I was a good Christian like Pastor Brady was talking about, I'd never have a bad day. If I was a good Christian like Pastor Brady was talking about, I'd be really excited when my boss comes in and tells me that I'm laid off. I'd be a really good Christian like Pastor Brady's talking about, and, and when my kids begin to act up, then I'm just real excited that they're doing that. No. There's a huge difference between the natural response and then a sinful attitude. A sinful attitude wants my own way. A sinful attitude says, I get what I deserve regardless. Sins of actions and sins of attitude. Which brother do you feel like you relate to the best today? Maybe you're here today and there's things that you have said and you have done wrong and the Lord is convicting you today that he has no place for sin. No place in his mind does he have a pocket for sin. When he gives us all the promises that we just read in Scripture, all those things that are available to believers, none of them factor in sin. None of them factor in that you will begin to do things your own way. God wants to run to you today and free you from sins of action. But church, God is longing to free us from sins of attitude. There's been people throughout the course of church history that have suffered, that have been so wounded by people that it has made them so bitter and so hard and so calloused that their attitude begins to turn inward and they are so full of a sinful attitude that they miss what God is doing. There are people coming home and the Father's wrapping their arms around them and they are hacked off. There is miracles that God is doing. There is a breath of movement that God wants to do. And there's people who say, how come that didn't happen for me? This attitude comes out in a number of different ways. It's the little thought that creeps in that we give space and then we give birth to and we embrace and it becomes our own. I've had them over to my house five times and they've never invited me once. Great persecution that I face. How come they never asked me to teach that class? Pastor Rex always gets to teach that class. Why can't I teach that class? How come they didn't recognize me at work? If everybody knew what was really going on, I keep this thing afloat. It's just not fair. I would never have responded the way they responded. They have so much and they act like everything's so bad. And my life is worse than theirs. So. God wants to free us from our sins of action and our sins of attitude. When the father met the son, the younger son, who had come to the end of himself, his response was, I love you, my son, and I bring you in. The problem with sins of attitude 
is it takes quite a bit for us to come to the end of ourself. It's the older son attitude that says, I love me, I love me, I love myself. I love me, I love me, I love myself to death. I love me, I love me, I love myself. Well, look, there's my picture on the shelf. I'm so excited about who I am. I'm so excited about the way people should view me that God says, maybe you need to let me free you from the attitude of carnality that is wreaking havoc on your life. You heard it proclaimed already this morning. When we die to ourselves, when we die daily to ourself, we can be made alive in Christ. The, the younger brother said, I have come to the end of who I am. And today, God is asking us, are you, younger or older brother, at the end of yourself? I'm going to ask Pastor Edgar to come. and We're not going to hang out here very long. I can see you can't. The snow is gone and it's very sunny. That's not true. <laughs> We're not going to tarry or hang out here long. But I believe on a day like this, God has a calling to somebody who is saying, let me embrace you with my arms of grace. But until you come to the end of yourself, until you come to the place where you say, I've squandered all of the things you've given to me, whether it be through my actions, my deeds, my words, or my attitude, I am ready to have God wrap me in his arms. Now check this out. The enemy not only gets on your shoulder to make you think that there's things in your life that's not really there, but the enemy also gets on your shoulder to make you think that's somebody else's problem. That's the person behind me. That's the person to beside me. In fact, there may be someone here that you want to kind of elbow them and say, See, I told you you had a rotten attitude. But I'm confident God doesn't work that way. He wants to talk to Brady. He wants to talk to Carrie. He wants to talk to you. And your God doesn't come to you and say, I finally got you where I want you, right where you understand what a loser you are. Your God says, It's time for me to full-out sprint to my daughter and wrap my arms around her and bring her in as soon as she can say, I'm at the end of myself. Jesus, I need you to cleanse this attitude, to cleanse this action. I am hungry for you in my life. Friend, God's Word is faithful and true. Every single thing he says is his promise to you, but he never has factored into any of those promises our disobedience in actions and attitude. If you're here today, I promise you, we're not going to hang out long. If you want to respond to what God is, is pricking your heart about, you're going to have just a matter of moments to respond. Without everybody standing, I'm going to ask if you just would bow your head and close your eyes. If that freaks you out to close your eyes, just stare at your shoes. Just don't be distracted by people around you. If God has been speaking to you and, and you want to come to the end of yourself and say, God, I want your grace for these sins of action or sins of attitude, I want you to step up right now. Don't wait for someone else. And you come and you kneel at these altars and, and we want to pray together. 
Well, Pastor Brady, I, I teach Sunday school here. What will people think if I get up and come and kneel at an altar at an altar call like this? They'll probably think you're making the best decision of your life. They'll probably think that you're ready to have God's grace engulf you in a way that will be the best thing that's ever happened to you. If you're here, don't wait for anybody else right now. Stand up, step out, and come forward. Well, well can't I just pray at my seat? Sure, you can pray at your seat, but God called his disciples to come forward and take steps of action at the moment of decision. Don't wait. Don't delay. If God's been speaking and you come to the end of yourself, as Pastor Edgar sings this song right now, you stand up, you come forward and pray. This is your time. We're not going to hang out here long. If you want to mind God, you come forward right now as, as we sing.